You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. If you're beautiful and you love Jesus, find a seat. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with KC. I, I, I'm so glad the Schroeders are back. Um, I think you guys were saying that was three weeks, so three week bout of the plague. And oh man, you don't really, you don't realize how much you love somebody or like somebody until they're not in the seat next to you at church, right? No, don't do it. Don't do it more often, John. Oh man. Well, this morning, it's just, this is the fourth week of our Advent series, and I'm preaching on a, a, well, I'm preaching from the book of Ruth this morning, um, which isn't typically fuel for an Advent fire, but I've been thinking about Naomi a whole lot lately. And so that is my reason that we're going to jump into the book of Ruth today. So here we go. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this phrase that you all know really well. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, they will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me, they will never be thirsty. So it's. It's no accident that Jesus claimed to be the bread of life and that he was born in Bethlehem because what Bethlehem means is the house of bread. Jesus, otherwise known as Emmanuel or God with us, the bread of life began his human life in a town called the house of bread. Of all the things that God could have chosen as a picture, an icon, a metaphor to describe himself, he chose something that could feed people. Why is that? Quite simply, God knows that people need to be fed. It's as simple as that. We were created to hunger for God. And God showed up as something or someone to feed us by. Without food, people starve. And then they die. Obviously, food is extremely important for human survival. But there are other ways to starve. There is another kind of food that humans need. We need spiritual food. We need to eat the bread of life. We must take Christ into our hearts so that we can be fed. 
But sometimes it seems that doing that is easier said than done. Sometimes it feels like, to use the modern term, we live in a food desert where access to the bread of life isn't so easy to come by. Occasionally, there is no food in the pantry. There is no bread in Bethlehem. Occasionally, there is no bread in the house of bread. What have these last couple of years felt like for you? Have you been mystified? Has it felt disconcerting to you? Have you wished God would do something? Have you been waiting for God to intervene? There is a book in the Old Testament called Ruth. But to me, the story is really about a woman named Naomi. I love the Bible so much. God's word is a light to our paths. But one of the reasons why I love the scripture so much is that it is so severely honest. The Bible is filled with details that make us uncomfortable in the way that describes life and our relationship with God. And the story of Naomi is specifically hard and it is severely sad. And it is expressly difficult. Naomi's story, at least as far as we see it in the book of Ruth, begins with starvation. Naomi, at the very beginning of the book of Ruth, she finds herself, she lives in Bethlehem, otherwise known as the house of bread. But in the town of Bethlehem, there is no bread to eat. Naomi is hungry. Her husband is hungry. Her two sons are hungry. There is no bread in the house of bread. There is starvation in the house of bread. Today is the final Sunday of Advent. Advent is about the arrival of God. People need God. We need him for many different reasons. But sometimes it feels that God is nowhere to be found. I don't know if you're like me, but 2020 was rough and I just assumed 2021 would be better than 2020. Are you with me? And when 2021 in some sense got harder, I, I looked around and I, and I assessed the situation. And sometimes I would wonder, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to intervene on our, on our behalf? When are you going to feed those of us who are hungry? Naomi was a person who was hoping that God would arrive into her circumstances. But Naomi's story isn't a story of bewilderment and confusion that just lasted a month 
Naomi's confusion over God's apparent absence would last years. You think you've had a difficult couple of years? Naomi's confusion and bewilderment lasted for over a decade. Here's what Naomi experienced. She began in famine and starvation. And then she and her family, they turned into refugees because they had to abandon their home and sojourn to a distant land in order to find a place where they could eat. She lived for years as a foreigner in Moab. And then out of nowhere, her husband died and left her a widow. Now to be a widow in your own home was bad enough. But to be a widow in a foreign land, to be a refugee widow in a foreign land where you already didn't belong is to be on the very furthest regions of the margins. She became the very least of these. So in order to survive in Moab, her sons married Moabite women, which was prohibited by the law of Israel. Naomi was a person who was fashioned and formed by the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 28 was ingrained in her heart, in her soul, in her psyche. She knew, according to Deuteronomy 28, if you do right by God, God's going to do right by you. If you do right by the law, you will be blessed. At the end of Deuteronomy 28, it says this. If you don't do right by God, you will be cursed. If you don't do right, you will be the opposite of blessed. You will find yourself in dire circumstances. So imagine this woman. We don't know that she was wicked. We don't know that she didn't. Dis, that she disobeyed the law for all intents and purposes. We have to assume from the text, at least that she was doing her best to abide by the law that she knew. And yet she faced circumstances that were telling her according to the law that she was formed by that she was not blessed by God. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where there was so much calamity, so many things that you were enduring, it made you start to wonder if God was really in your corner or not? So her two sons, they marry Moabite women, which was prohibited by the law of Israel, which meant that she would never be able to return to her homeland. If there had been a glimmer of a hope of an eventual return, the mere fact that she married her sons to women outside of the tribes of Israel, she was once and for all cut off from her homeland. Then, to add insult to injury, both of her sons died. She's had more than a bad week, y'all. She's had more than a bad year. She's had years upon years of heartache. 
Do you suppose Naomi may have asked God, why have you not intervened on my behalf? Do you suppose Naomi felt like God had abandoned her? I mean, how much pain and sorrow can a person endure before they start to ask questions like that? She was a person who lived through famine, death, and then death, and then death. And there is not a person among us who would not be changed by this series of events. Naomi's husband, his name was Elimelech. Elimelech means God has been kind to me. After Elimelech died, maybe Naomi felt that God's kindness had departed from her life. But at least she still had her sons. Naomi's sons married, one to a woman named Orpah and the other to a woman named Ruth. The thing about marriage is is it's supposed to produce offspring. But in both of these marriages... Over the years, there were no children born from either of these marriages. And then both of her sons died. Naomi was left completely destitute in a foreign land, in the margins of society, a refugee, a widow, with no home and virtually no means of support. And you know what Deuteronomy 28 says. Naomi knew what it said. If you obey the law, blessings will come to you. And if you do not obey the law, curses will come to you. The text of Ruth does not tell us that Naomi was necessarily a good person. But it doesn't tell us that she was wicked either. It seems that Naomi... And her family did their best to walk faithfully with God. So after so much tragedy, it makes sense that she changed her name from Naomi to something else. Naomi means pleasant, but she didn't want to go by pleasant anymore. In the story Naomi and Ruth, they hear after all of these years that Bethlehem has again prospered. And after 10 long years, Naomi returns to here to her hometown, depleted and marked by loss. And she says to the people of the town after she's walked for 10 days to go from Moab back to Judah Whatever you do, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant no more. I only want to be known by Mara, for the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. And she says this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. 
For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon me. So we're bearing witness in this text to a person whose life is marked by tragedy and her testimony. Her testimony is that God has raised his fist against me. God has raised his fist against me. I feel like there's been times in my life when I have felt that God has raised his fist against me. And I could not tell why. I was perplexed. There were no explanations for the things that that I was going through. I was only confused. There was only tension. There was only uncertainty. There was only struggle. But what's really incredible about this story of, of Naomi and the bitterness of her testimony in the light and light of her life and her testimony, what kind of person must Ruth have been? In the light of Naomi's actual reality and her testimony thereof, what kind of person must Ruth have been? In Ruth 1, 16 through 17. Ruth says this. Don't ask me to leave you, Naomi, to turn back wherever you go. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Whenever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, what kind of crazy person associates themselves with a person whose life they've witnessed has been filled with famine, starvation, death, 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 total rejection by their God, and turns to that person and says, no matter what you go through, and no matter what your testimony about your God may be, however dark it is, there's no way that I'm parting ways with you. What kind of eyes of faith must Ruth have had to be able to see into the life of Naomi and not see depletion, not only see loss and tragedy, but to see something beyond it? Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a person formed by the law of Moses, but she had faith. Ruth had Advent eyes. There must have been some type of expectancy in her that she could not be talked out of this Yahweh, this God that she'd heard so much about in the worst way possible. 
It reminds me of that old story. There was a science experiment that was done in the 50s or 60s. And they took a bunch of little kids and they tested them all. There were like 100 kids, 99 of the kids. They tested as pessimists. But there was this one kid and he was an optimist. And they took the 99 pessimist kids and they stuck them in a room full of the best toys that money could buy. And they walked into that room and they saw all those toys. They played with them for 30 seconds apiece, got tired of them, started kicking them down the road and wanted something more. And they stuck the lowly little optimist kid into a room full of steaming pile of horse manure. He looked around that room. He said, hmm. You can't fool me. I know there's a pony around here somewhere. (laughs) Those are the kind of eyes that Ruth must have had. She couldn't be talked out of the potential of God intervening into her life. And she wasn't nonchalant. She made hard choices To go a distance with a person who appeared to be cursed. Isn't it funny how we sidestep people who appear to be cursed? Isn't it interesting how we avoid people who we deem as being cursed by God? Ruth did the opposite of that. She connected herself and asked God to deal with her severely if she ever parted ways with this cursed person. What kind of faith must Ruth have had to see through the reality of Naomi's life, to choose the struggle of living in all of the sorrow and all of the joys of life with Yahweh rather than the known gods of her own family? If you're like me, sometimes finding comfort in false known gods is easier than living in the struggle with Jesus. I find this is where a lot of people go their separate ways with Jesus because they don't like the way he's not intervening in their lives. And they go find comfort in the known familiar gods that they can be distracted by, where they can go have these sensory pleasures on occasion. If you're like me, I mean, I do that all the time, I'm sure. But Ruth was a person who put herself right into the struggle with Jesus. Especially in dire circumstances or in loss, we can be overwhelmed by our own story, just like Naomi was. We can't save ourselves, just like Naomi couldn't save herself. We can't undo what's been done, Just like Naomi couldn't undo the reality of her life. We can't control the world. Just like Naomi couldn't control her circumstances. But maybe Advent is our opportunity to say once again, come Lord Jesus, come. Maybe this final Advent Sunday, we can make our confession The words of Ruth, in spite of the dark testimony that we hear, we can say, do not ask me to leave you. 
Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. You see, Ruth was not afraid. Ruth was not afraid of the uncertainty of Naomi's life. Ruth was just a refugee girl with no prospects. Ruth put herself in the most unprotected, vulnerable place a person can put themselves. Ruth put herself in the hands of God. Do you know that is literally the most dangerous place you can put yourself is in the hands of God? Because he'll ask you to go with people like Naomi who have nothing good to say about God. God will put you in the path of people whose lives are a mess and there's no accounting for why they are a mess. You know what Job's wife said to Job? She kind of gave him the best advice a person could give a person in lines of conventional wisdom. Oh, you're still trying to maintain your integrity? You should just curse God and die. That's in the Bible, y'all. Anytime somebody tries to make a case for uh, interpreting the Bible literally, there's a couple of passages I'd like to point out to you. When the Bible says curse God and, and die, that's the Bible being honest. That's not an invitation to you to curse God and die. But nevertheless, we see Ruth hitching her pony to this wagon of Naomi for all intents and purposes was totally not blessed by God. Are you with me? And when Ruth put herself in the hands of God, when she did that, she unknowingly put herself right into the plan of God. This is why as followers of Jesus, we never ever have to be afraid of dark days. Ruth was not afraid. And she didn't ever scold her mother-in-law for her negative confession. She walked with her. You know, I, I got to tell you, I was, I was telling Stuart Clark this morning. There's this thing. I, I want to get off my message for just a minute and get a little pastoral for just a second. But I keep hearing this word. It's, it's running through the charismatic church, but I also hear it running in other places too. Where there's this, this idea that we can manifest realities. And you manifest realities with the confession of your tongue, with your positive vibes, with your positive thoughts. Guys, that's not in the Bible. If you think that you have the power to do that, you are inviting yourself into an illusion that God will resist. You know why God will resist that in your life? Because reality resists that. And God is in your reality. God was in the reality that Naomi was living through. He knew she was in pain. He knew she was in sorrow. But he also knew the outcome that would be years in coming. He didn't make the difficult parts of life go away just because he had a plan. His plan includes the difficult parts. And if you get tied up into this notion that you can manifest your way out of the difficult parts of life, you will land in an illusion. So Naomi or 
Ruth chose not to scold her negative confessing mother-in-law. He gave her, she gave her room to go through her process. She gave her room to journey with her God in the way that she needed to journey with her God. And if you lost three people, the three closest people in your life in death, you might also say, God has dealt bitterly with me. Trust me, the Lord Almighty is not afraid of that testimony. He's waiting for the good parts to get here, just like you are. You know, I've, I've figured this thing out about the Lord. The Lord relies on patience. He's very patient. He trusts himself. He trusts himself to go the distance. And the journey between the lack that we're experiencing right now to the someday fullness, that's the part where we get to choose to walk with God. That's the part where we get to choose to live with God and all of the things that we do not understand. My friend Adam Russell said this to me a couple weeks ago and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. He's like, now is the only moment that we get to procure something precious for Jesus. How do we procure things for Jesus? How do we pour out our lives on Jesus' feet? We take all of our questions, all of the things that we go through that are hard, dark, uncertain, unsure, and we don't walk away from him, we walk into him. And I don't know, there's a dynamic that I've discovered I, t- I think a lot about the absence and the presence of God, but I will tell you this, I can't explain it. I don't know how this works, but the thing that I have found to be true is that when I feel the most prevailing absence of God in my life, it's actually the moment when I feel him the closest. Because there are ways of knowing God in sorrow that you cannot know him in any other realm. There is a day of joy, y'all. There is a day of joy and there is a river of joy flowing through each one of you if you're a follower of Jesus that will actually take you through the darkest of days. We have to tap into that river of joy, don't we? It's not a denial of the things that are difficult. It's not a denial of the things that are uncertain or, or hard or too much for us to bear. It's actually the thing that lets us look into those things unafraid. So Ruth looked deep into the reality of Naomi's life and she chose to walk into that difficulty not knowing anything of what would eventually take place. Ruth did not know that through her that the bread of life would be born In Bethlehem, in the house of bread? Are y'all connecting these dots with me? This is so amazing. The Bible makes sense when you actually read it. Ruth did not turn away from the bitter life of Naomi. And because she did not, Ruth eventually marries Boaz And they had a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And then 28 generations later, guess who was born in the house of bread? The bread of life, y'all. 
The bread of life was literally born out of a family line that started in famine and starvation, in death upon death upon death, in a marriage that, in marriages that were prohibited by the law of God, that were cutting off Naomi. And in all of that, God worked his plan to get those people back to the place that he needed them to be so that he could do the thing that he needed to do. And he did it all without letting any of them in on it. But there was this one little girl named Ruth who decided not to give up on a bitter person, who decided not to necessarily fully believe the dark testimony of an old woman whose reality spoke volumes and she stuck herself to that person and never gave up on that person. She didn't know God has a plan for my life. She stuck to the person. She stuck to the person. Guess where Jesus is going to show up in your life is when you stick to the person that you most want to avoid, the, the person you want to divorce, the person you want to cancel, the person you want to get rid of, the people that you want to abandon. You walking a distance with those people is how the kingdom of God expands. Ruth had eyes to see that darkness is simply just a landing place for the light of God to arrive. You know, there's a whole lot of metaphysics behind what I'm telling you. Like, I'm kind of like, there's, there's this story and then there's all of these like principles. But none of the people in this story knew the metaphysics or the mechanics of how any of this stuff was going to land. So, so where was the faithfulness? Where was the gold in these people's lives that is applicable to my life and to your life. Guys, it really is in the faithfulness between people. It really is in sticking with people no matter what. No matter how things, hard things get. Amen? So Advent is our proclamation that hopelessness is a lie... And that tragedy is the point where the, the love of God proves its ability to overcome everything. Y'all, I'm going to end and I'm going to ask my good buddy Josh Baldwin to come up here. Because I feel like after a message that good, <laughs> we must praise the Lord. Yeah. We're going we're to worship a little. We're, we're, we're believing that the Lord is going to move in here. But I want to tell you all this, and this is something, if you didn't get anything else out of this message, I hope you got a lot. But if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to hear this. And I've probably said it from this pulpit before, because I cannot for the life of me keep track of what I have said and what I haven't said. So forgive me for repeating myself. But God doesn't make trouble happen. 
But God doesn't explain trouble when it does happen. But he absolutely redeems trouble when it happens. And sometimes the redemptive process may take a little bit longer than you would like. But that is just the moment in your life where you get to choose to follow hard after Jesus. Because I'm telling you, that is so much better than all of the other options out there. Pleasure is fleeting. It will leave you high and dry. It will be good for a minute, but it will not satisfy you because the only person that can satisfy your soul is Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, the bread of life. He's the one who claimed whoever is hungry, all they got to do is come to me and I will feed them. He didn't say you won't hurt. He didn't say you won't suffer. He didn't say you won't go through hard things. He said in the middle of all of those things, don't be afraid for I have overcome the world. And you're going to find how I've overcome the world because I'm going to let you walk through it. That's the only way we can know this, y'all. It's the only way we can discover the true beauty of knowing Jesus is that the world is difficult. Why don't we just stand up? Whoo, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for Advent. We thank you for the coming Son. We thank you for your government that shall have no end. That your government is increasing and it's increasing and it's increasing and it's increasing. Even now, this morning, your government is increasing. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning who sees their story in Naomi And I thank you for it, God. I thank you for every Naomi story in this room this morning because it's that place that you show up, Jesus. When we have counted things dead and gone, it is that place that you show up. Let's worship, Josh. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.